Aya. Aya. Hey. And hey. the new. Yeah, Zoom went like, oh, wow, that's a that's probably not a human speech pattern. <laughs> Look, I think from tone we can guess roughly what just no, happened. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> not, a, not a human speech pattern. More than a human. <laughs> More than a human, <laughs> my friends. Ow. I am... <laughs> More than a mere mortal. I am a champion. I don't know if I've mentioned this enough on any of my social media or content. I don't know if I've made mention of the fact. This is the first I'm hearing of any sort right? of champion status. <laughs> I mean, it, it's hard to get the word out, you know? But I do happen to have returned from the weekend uh, with gold. I am the PCW women's champion. That's me. Hello. How do you do? That is you. How do you hell, do? Hell yeah. Uh, no, not, as, not as good as you, it seems. Hell yeah. I'm fucking excited. As, as one person put it, uh, congratulations to me for being the person that the person who picks the winners of matches picked to win the match. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> look, he, look. He knows how wrestling works. Look. Wrestling, wrestling is great if you don't want to acknowledge someone's accomplishments because there's there's two completely opposing reasons you can try and disqualify, like you know, disregard someone's championship win, which is which you know in in your case, which is either you know, ah, oh, congrats for winning only because it's scripted, or as I I also saw floating around, congrats because you only won because of all that all that testosterone and strongness. Yes! Yeah! Yes. <laughs> I I love the point someone made. Um, I forget who it was, but they, they, made, they made the point that to transphobes, trans people aren't real. No, but right. But wrestling is. Yeah. Right, it's... Uh, <laughs> it's, it's... I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to focus too no. much on the haters because obviously... I am a winning champion now. I don't need to. I don't need to associate myself. You can rise with above the, the the lowly with, rabble. Yeah, with the the slings and arrows of the 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 peasantry. Um, but my God, there are people pulling the turf thing of, oh, you're a biological man. You shouldn't be wrestling those poor women. Um, I've got one. I've got one because it was screen grabbed on my phone because <laughs> I've I've kept a few of the just the, the really beautiful ones. I'll just quickly go through it. I'm pro LGBT <laughs> and I've been fighting for equal right to my whole life, but this just like in a real sport is just wrong. You have the body of a man. Period, you're stronger, faster. <laughs> oh, me. I'm in awe. This is actually an argument that a lot of people support. What about the rights of all the women losing and ruining their careers? This is some chicken shit. Go for the men's title and stop the abuse. And I mean this with the utmost respect. <laughs> Fucking amazing. And the no! I'm a new... I'm the sh I don't know if I've mentioned this right, everyone, but I am the PCW Women's Champion. And it's one of the biggest indie promotions in Brit Rest. Yeah. Thank you very much. Internationally recognised championship. As near as I can tell, I might be the first and only non-binary women's champion in the UK. Hell yeah. Shattering barriers, breaking ground, cracking planets, Commander Stephanie Sterling, women's champion. Great weekend. Fucking great weekend. Fought through two very brutal matches to get it. Beat Nightshade, beat Harley Hudson, who is just one of the best performers in the UK. Um, brilliant. Stephanie's title corner. 
Brilliant. Okay, that's me. Can I just say, I'm surprised at how good of a cl- like metallic clunk sound you got out of the belt. It's good. It's it's a good it's a good knock. Yeah. Uh, very good knock. Um, God, it's brilliant. Uh, Commander Stephanie Sterling looks very good with the title. I think it really brings out the gold in their face. Mm. Just just delighted. Genuinely, like I know there are those people saying hey, it's just fake, but like to me, it's a sign that like the crowd liked me enough to want to see it and the promotion saw value in me as a performer to represent them like it no i didn't win it in a fight but i well it wasn't a fight i wiped the floor with harley um <laughs> but yeah that's that's the thing though it's like who is decided to pick wrestling matches pulling the curtain back a second is as much about your ability to sell your sort of journey and the the progression as it is anything else and that is not a thing that happens without putting the work in. Like there is, there is work required to get your wrestling career to a point where that is a natural thing to happen. Yeah, and that's what it means to me. It's you know, I I've been in the business for five years, struggled for most of them, couldn't find a trainer to take me seriously. Uh, even as a manager who drew more than many wrestlers, a lot of promotions didn't understand it, didn't want to go with it. After I moved to the UK, I just over a year, I got my first title. Just over a year of yeah. having been trained. And the uh, the level to which my abilities as a performer, as an <laughs> athlete, thank you. Um, but no, the rate to which it's grown. And of course, I, I owe a great debt to uh, my trainer there, to Liam Slater, who uh, oh. is a huge reason why I'm, well, it's the reason I'm, I'm any good in the ring. But no, I've gone from that sort of having a lot of imposter syndrome about it and making those jokes about, oh, I'm definitely a real wrestler, nudge wink, to I'm a good fucking wrestler. I'm a good wrestler. Um, yeah. I have a fantastic set of moves. I understand how to tell a story. Just as soon as I do some actual cardio, I'll be even better. Um, so anyway, uh, I won't go on about it. I don't. I I think I've, how long have I talked about it so far? Like a minute, minute and a half. I I I'm good to move on. Well, let me just quickly say that I will be defending this title on June the tenth uh, in Blackpool uh, for the second annual UK Pride Show. Uh, that PCW puts on. Last year, I was I was in their first one, the first Pride uh, wrestling show in the UK. And the anniversary show, I will be defending against Harley Hudson, um, tickets rep by dot at slash PCW. Um, they've already sold a lot of tickets uh, for something that's on in June. So, so do, do get them if you come in. And I do hope people who can get to Blackpool on that day will come. So there's that. And if you can get to Leeds this Saturday, I'm actually fighting the PCW heavyweight champion, a different promotion, True Grit, uh, Priscilla, uh, my tag team partner in Queens of the Space Age. And how about that? Queens of the Space Age are the heavyweight and women's champion of PCW. And we are going to fucking fight on Saturday. And that's in Leeds. That's True Grit at the uh, left bank venue. Um, so that's it. Yeah. Thank you, everyone who who comes to those shows as well. Like it. It fucking means the world to me because I know not I know not many people percentage wise are into the wrestling. Many people listening now might be like, "Shut the fuck up, Steph." But it does mean a lot that people turn out because it's one of the reasons I'm valuable as a performer. You know, a big part of what makes a wrestler is the draw. 
is is the bums they put in seats. So just thank you. Um, I love my belt. Yeah, you should. Yeah. It's a great belt. We, we got we got video games to talk we about. This composition. That. That, ostensibly, that's why we're here. Right. I am going to say my my highlight of my week quickly. Nowhere near as exciting, but I I got to go on like four planes in the space of like two days. Uh, and two of them are like very small planes that only had like twenty seats on them, and Whoa. I like modes of transport. And that was that was a good weekend for me. I, over two days, I went on like a train, a plane, a plane, a plane again, a plane again, then a train, then oh, another mate. train. You got trains as great. well. You love your trains. Yeah, I was I was traveling all over the place. Oh, that is brilliant. Yeah, it was uh, two very tiring days for a lot of public transport. I love me some good public you transport. Do. I'm glad for you. That's a yeah. lot. Of, that is a lot of vehicles. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, I will for someone who just wasted like ten minutes talking about their fucking belt. Um, just let listeners know I will have to disappear at some point because I've got a dingus <laughs> house inspection, and I will be sat here. Let me just undo the buckles. I am going to be carrying the belt around for the whole inspection. <laughs> Oh, of course. You know, you should just let them know what's going to happen if the inspection doesn't go over well. Right, just to let you know. You know, <laughs> just, I'm handy you know, with a wrist lock. Little... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, right. Let's, let's talk about games. Who's played Who's played stuff? Uh, I know Conrad and I have played the same game. Oh, did we? I played the yeah. same game as you, Conrad, because... What did, what did you both play this week? Because Conrad showed me a screenshot of it. <laughs> <laughs> what did that screenshot say, Conrad? Oh, let me uh, let me bring it <laughs> up here. Even the irate enemy forces may be bolstered, thus giving more boner resources needed to beat off the later waves of meanies. So you can see why I was interested. I'm I'm now just dis- disappointed I didn't get this screenshot. This is great. <laughs> it's a survivor's game called Bone Razor Minions. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's so immature. It's incredibly immature. But it's not over the top with it. It's got loads of innuendo in it. Yeah. But the game itself isn't sexual in any way. Nope. It's just the occasional line that it throws at you that's just, oh, Oh, that's just incredibly rude. And then he just carries on. <laughs> it's so laissez-faire about yeah. its approach to boater jokes, but oh. they're everywhere. Also, can I just say the the hyper-saturated colour palette on this game looks gorgeous. It looks nice. It looks nice, and you will appreciate this, Laura. It it, it goes hard on visibility settings. Ooh. Yeah. Because it's it's a survivor's type game, so there's going to be a yeah. lot of horde activity, and that color palette it can become a little bit hard to pick out who's an enemy, yeah. who are yeah. your your units, because this survivor's game is all about unit composition. Okay, you have uh, instead of getting weapons for yourself, you are a necromancer who's raising dead bodies. And using them to fight for you. And so there's Mm -hmm. a huge variety of them. You have ones that Mm. will just run up and hit enemies with swords, but they have bows. There are mages. There are um, plant things that will put slowing stuff in the ground. Some of the unit designs are very, very inventive. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I like just the various bro minions, like the pumpkin bro. And the pot bro, um, just a big magic 
sentient pot that throws things out of itself. Uh, A big exploding pumpkin. Um, There's a chest that just generates money. Yes. Little uh, fella with a treasure chest for a head. Yeah, it's very inventive. And every one of these survivor games coming out are going to have to have some sort of twist to stand out. Right. Um, It is an interesting, subtle little quirk that the projectiles, weapons, and aren't coming out of you. It's all mm. familiars, you know, whereas some some of these games will have, like, a weapon that is a little guy running around next to you. This is all right. little guys running around. Um, there is, like, a, the occasional passive upgrade you can get during a run that might shoot something from you, but that's, like, a one-off thing. Otherwise, your job is to avoid and collect the the bones that serve as XP while you slowly, like, build this army that does the rest. And it's just... It's a little change on the surface, but it does change... It has a big impact on how you approach the game versus uh, a game where you amass a bunch of weapons so that you can dive into that crowd. And there is no diving into the crowd in this one with the how quickly you can die. Even the strongest uh, character classes are pretty vulnerable. Yeah. Um, now, there is there is one of the character classes in there that does play more like vampire survivors in that instead of having the units on the field, you simply get all of their abilities and they fire Ooh. from you. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. So that's an, another interesting twist. Like, there's a lot of character classes. Basically, for every type of enemy, you know, melee, ranged, bros, giants, um, demons, and these are all um, part of development trees for the various yeah. units. They start small, but you can – I every time you get a level up from bones, you're presented with options to raise – more units or upgrade existing units yeah and then it can get quite complicated from Mm -hmm. what i've seen like i've I've only beat the first boss so far but i've reached a point now where it's not just like upgrading the minions but having various types of minions let you combine those minions to create a big minion of some sort and that doesn't, that's not limited just to your base unit types the bros uh do this too So if you get a couple, I've gotten a couple of ghost bros and been able to merge them into a bigger ghost bro. There's a lot of depth and development in this, just in the unit types and in the character classes. Because like I say, every one of these types has a class that is associated with a specific type of enemy that you focus on. Or there's one where the more level one and more level one units that you have increase the overall strength of them like plague rats in magic the gathering for Uh all of my really old nerds out there (laughs) and that's a neat twist on it because now you're not necessarily wanting to upgrade your stuff and get those big hitters because it's just going to chip away at your base damage to do so there's a lot and there's a few different types of uh, currency experience that you collect for unlocking every class has its own development tree that you can unlock boons to that you know are ultimately almost all necessary to unlock to to clear a run uh Mm. you can also be spending money on increasing the rate at which enemies come in and this will insert additional waves in between the main waves of the round i love that as a baseline 
the first level is like a bunch of peasants coming in that eventually get armor and then just like archers. And that's about it. But I wasn't quite sure what I was doing at first and was really surprised that when I unlocked slimes, they weren't for me. No. They were for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and these <laughs> slimes appeared. But I love the benefit because, you know, it behooves you to have way more opportunities to get XP and resources before the mm. first boss turns up. So inserting these extra waves of like slimes or little rat men and things like it's, yeah, I have been immediately impressed by this game. And I, I imagine if it's an enemy type that you know your build is particularly good at uh, defeating without too much trouble, it, it you can sort of make those those conscious choices about like, oh, oh, oh yeah, that is free experience if I add those in, which seems like a really good way to go yeah. about it. I think it. it's a bit more random than that. Like once you unlock yeah. them, they can just randomly appear. Oh, okay. So it's yeah. not just you're, you're getting them just this once. And it's not okay. so flexible as that either. The, those oh, okay. are one of the only up grades in the game that you can't return to the store okay yeah yeah um so those are those are permanent but they're also once you are at the point where you're starting to unlock those you already have enough of an understanding of how to play it that it really turns into far more benefit than risk that that makes sense that that still sounds real interesting it's cool one thing that also really struck me is especially versus some of the other survivor maps out there is how immediately rewarding this game is with its unlocks and and not just like the permanent upgrades aren't just like small percentage stat boosts you get gold and you are you get quite a bit with without having to go too far into a run that will allow you to unlock one or two things a go whether that is new enemies or new minions or like a dash uh or the ability to uh, draw bones to you from a distance which is really fucking vital because one one of the things that i didn't immediately like was the fact that the xp unlike in any other game will disappear if you leave it on the ground too long well there so, there's an upgrade for that too there is i did notice one that extends how long they stay i got that one straight away they become permanent at the third level yeah. excellent i would like that um but, but yeah, the things like that are really useful. But you can get enough stuff to feel like you are immediately better, um, better equipped. Yep. After mm. a couple runs, um, and and immediate in the first few runs, I was unlocking like little cosmetics, like like a Santa hat or bunny ears or a Jason Voorhees mask. Um, really early on, like I'm super impressed by that it's pretty immediate yeah they they put at least one of those uh enemies that drops a new hat in every run you do um it seems like and the uh the, you do get access to a shop through the upgrade trees also yeah. that you could just start buying them in your your mausoleum like i've already within an hour of playing and i've only done an hour so far and already like have unlocked so much stuff Within the first couple runs, I got a hockey mask. Yep. And you know me, I'm a Jason Voorhees mark. Like, I'm already pleased by the cosmetics. Immediately pleased. Um, Yeah, I'm super impressed by this one. Plus, they got boner jokes. Plus, they got boner jokes. Right? Uh, you two have really sold me on this. I, I set this down on like my it. Steam yeah. Deck uh, while, while you were talking I about it. I mean, there's more, too. Like, there are, yeah. um, much like 
other survivor games there are different maps that you Mm -hmm. get access to as it goes along and they have increased difficulty and you know bonuses related to that but bonuses boners oh (laughs) but there's also an architect mode you get to unlock and place upgrades to the environment that helps. Oh, that's you what also. it does. That's what it does. Oh, and I'm gonna get that. There's a bunch of them that are like super useful. Uh, there's one that when human enemies die in proximity of it, their blood goes in and it eventually releases hearts. And and so you can have access to more heals. There are these scarecrows that when you move close to them, they do a scream, and any enemies in the vicinity of that scream take damage. It also slows oh. them in their presence. And so you can use these in combination. There's ones that just spawn bones periodically. Lovely. There's ones where you can get a free unit just by opening them. Maybe. It's a it's it's a crapshoot, but you might get a bonus unit early in the game. It can yeah. be huge. So this there's so much content in here. And so much of it becomes available to you within a couple of hours of play. Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm excited about it. Like, just the sheer potential that it immediately gives you. The stuff it's given me so quickly. um, And seeing that there's so much more shit in it. Like, yeah, I am so impressed by this. Like, I'm stunned by how impressed I am. Um, That doesn't happen very often. Well, and this had been Uh, in early access for a long time, as I understand it. Right, So so another really good case for how to do early access right, right. then. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Always good. Of, of, of note, from a quick look on, on the store, this is verified for Steam Deck, which is nice. Yeah, I've been playing like it three qu- It's like three quid. Yeah, it's cheap. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's priced where these sorts of games are needing to be priced. Um, yes. Which mm. I think is a little bit regrettable, if I'm honest, because I do I mean, think the- games with this much content could very easily be sold for $10. They're offering me so much more than I think any game I've spent $70 on since this new gen started. Right. And it sort of breaks my heart a little bit that Vampire Survivors was so successful at its price point. Yeah. I will say, I was almost happy when the Vampire Survivors S game that I talked about the other week on Playdate was like, I think, like six quid. Mm-hmm. I was like, look, I was like, I, I recognize that like it's it's priced probably where it is because it's for a niche mar- a handheld with a smaller install base. But also, I was like, yeah, I will give you six quid for a game like this. Like, I don't want the precedent to have to be that if it's more than three pounds, it's not it's not worth it. Yeah, yeah, uh, but. That that is sort of where we're at, and this definitely provides value for three bucks. It's yeah, 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 yeah. Big fan. Also, quick side note on that note: uh, the Vampire Survivors DLC is now on the mobile version. Um, that game is free to play on mobile, and the DLC at launch was eighty nine pence. Fucking. Uh, I think it went up to ninety nine pence after a week, but like, yeah. If- oh, those gouges. <laughs> Oh, I know those gouges. <laughs> but yeah, if you like that that mobile port is like so well optimized and you can play the whole game and the DLC for ninety nine pence on mobile. Like, if you've not done so yet, and like that's a place you would play it, that mobile port's great. That's nice. Fucking... Just... Sorry for the derail no, there. No, I just no, I'd, no. That's... I thought I'd mention it because like I'm I'm consistently impressed that like that that, that mobile port is what it is. 
And there's just such good writing in it as well. There is such good writing in it. <laughs> such good writing in it. <laughs> I don't know. Do I need to keep doing a disclosure? Uh, like, just while we talk about Vampire Survivors, I'll just need to do the usual disclosure that I am PCW Women's Champion. <laughs> I, I, no, I think that's important that you uh, yeah, yeah. make sure the listeners know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Laura, what have you played this week then? Uh, it's been a weird game week for me this week because as I as I mentioned, I I did some travelling this week for work and it's meant I didn't have a lot of like sit down and properly focus on games time. Uh, so I've been playing a lot of handheld stuff and a lot of like very quick bursts. Um first, I'll finish doing my shiny hunting in Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. I'm I'm done with that new generation of, of game. I did do two very ridiculous shiny hunts that I hadn't thought I was going to do, and then I just kind of committed to, and now I've done them. Um, so you know how, like, a shiny Pokemon is, like, one in 4,000 base odds of finding that shiny Pokemon? Yeah. They did something kind of bullshit in Scarlet and Violet that I love, but I I don't think was it for most people is a fair thing to have done. Uh-oh. Um, there are two Pokemon that have special very rare revolutionary forms that don't do anything different, but they look a little different. Um, there's Tandemouse, the little pair of mice that when they evolve, they become a little family of mice. Don't get me they started get two... on them. They annoy oh. me so much. Two Pokemon can't be a Pokemon. Four Pokemon? I... <laughs> now you're inviting mayhem into your house. Well, well, not not always. T- it's not always a family of four, though. That's the thing. Uh, one in a hundred times, when you evolve your little two... They'll only have one child rather than two. You'll get what's called a family of three mousehold. Mousehold is good. I'll give them that. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good pun. Uh, You you can't find the family of three in the wild. You can only find it from evolving. Um, The same goes for Dunsparce, which uh, Pokemon from Gen 2 that no one ever gave a shit about that they gave an evolution in this generation where all they did is added like an extra segment to its body and added the first two letters of its name to its name again to slightly elongate it uh dunsparce became da dunsparce i fucking love it i love that they took this pokemon that Mm -hmm. no one gave a shit about and they were like i know what'll get everyone on board with dunsparce make it slightly longer (laughs) um but usually that's got two segments in its body when it evolves. But one in a hundred times, you can get a little three segment one. I'd love a, I'd love a three segment one. I I don't even use the Dunsparce, but I knew that there was one with three <laughs> segments that's rare, and I'm like, I want that. So I didn't just want a three segment to Dunsparce in a family didn't. of three mousehold. I wanted the shinies. Of course you did. Which meant I needed to get. Uh, a shiny Pokemon, yeah. and then roll a one in a hundred dice <laughs> on that shiny to get it to be the shiny I wanted. Um, my odds were better than like some people I've seen. Um, I have successfully done both these shiny hunts. I shiny hunted. I think it was seventy nine shiny tandem mouses and a hundred and eleven shiny Dunsparce. Jesus Christ! Uh, to get my two weird little shiny variants. That is, that's another <laughs> level, Laura. <laughs> I I might be a little bit down the rabbit hole on this one particular way of playing Pokemon that no one should be putting this much time <laughs> into. Um, but the other thing I've been doing that's sort of Pokemon adjacent uh, is I went and made sure I had downloaded all the 3DS uh, Pokemon games, specifically the... Um, 
virtual console ports of Generations 1 and 2. So red, blue, yellow, gold, silver, crystal. Uh, because we are less than a week from the 3DS eShop just stopping existing. Uh, which fucking sucks for game preservation. Uh, and I want to like mention a video I think is well worth watching in a minute. But um, yeah, in terms of... I would like the ability to catch a Pokemon in Gen 1 or 2 and move it forward to the current generation of video games. The only way to transfer from, say, Generations 1 and 2 to 3 and onwards is via the 3DS Virtual Console versions of the games, which will not be purchasable beyond a week from now, which yeah. fucking sucks. Like, absolutely sucks for preservation. And most of those Pokemon, like, for my shiny hunting purposes, could in theory be shiny hunted in other games that have those Pokemon available, but, like... If I want to go do a Gen 2 shiny hunt and have that little icon on my Pokemon that says you carried this forward from Gen 2 all the way to modern, I, I went and made sure I had all the 3DS games downloaded yeah, um, for that purpose. Not um, bad thinking. Yeah, I, I want to make a mention of a video that I watched this week that I think is is well worth watching for anyone who isn't particularly read up on like the state of game preservation and how big of a problem the 3DS and Wii U eShops being taken down is. Uh, over on the YouTube channel The Completionist, there is a video called I Bought Every Nintendo Wii U and 3DS Game Before the Nintendo eShop Closes. And it is a fascinating video uh, that really exemplifies the fact that even if you have $23,000 to burn on downloading every digital-only digital, digital only title for those platforms and every piece of DLC and all things that will go away and stop having preservation ability once the eShop goes down, there are so many barriers to prevent you from physically doing that. Yeah. Uh, it took him a year to get all those games downloaded because of barriers like um, having to purchase arbitrary gift cards to make purchases or limits to how many games you like a console will allow you to have uh, registered onto it. All of these limitations you start butting up against that the average consumer won't experience if you want to properly archive a, a console generation's worth of titles. Um, it is a really interesting video that leads to some discussions of the importance of preservation and, and that sort of thing, but yeah, it fucking... It, it took a year and 23 grand for someone to Basically, that's the whole thing they did to to archive some games that were otherwise it's just going to be fucking lost, and that shouldn't be the state of this industry. No. So, I mean, this this harks back to what I have said now for many years, which is it it is morally okay to pirate Nintendo stuff because yeah, they explicitly go out of their way constantly to make it hard to buy things or to just yeah. outright stop you. If if you were going to make it literally impossible, f like here's the thing, like going back to those 3DS uh, Pokemon games I downloaded, there will be a point a week from now where the only way to catch a Pokemon in Gen One or Two and move it forward to the Switch games is piracy. That is the only method that will be available to someone new who wants to go. I want to catch a Pokemon in Gen Two and bring it up to the Switch, and that's on Nintendo. If that's the only way to do it, if piracy is your only route, like Nintendo's got yeah. no one to blame at themselves there. Yeah, I've been acquiring some 3DS games and stuff. Um, yeah. Some I used to have, some I haven't. Um, I didn't know Rusty's Real Deal Baseball wasn't available in the UK. Now, yes. I, w 
I didn't want it to like spend microtransactions and shit on it, but it is a fascinating game. Oh, it is a thing that deserves preservation that I am like endlessly intrigued by. Yeah. Now I was, you know, I was able to play it in the US um, when, and I've got a US 3DS. It's just it's that one with the fucked screen. Um, but I, I don't even know if games can be downloaded after the shops so are all fucked. My, my understanding is you will be able to re-download stuff that you had already downloaded at least once in the past. I right. think that is the case, but I would double check that. Yeah. I mean, the screen's fucked, but still sort of usable. I could just get yeah. it just to have it on the thing. Um, but yeah, you know, I grabbed things that are exclusive, uh, like Box Boy. You know, I played that yeah. one. Loved that one back in the day. Um, a bunch I've never played before, like Attack of the Friday Monsters. Um... Uh, the the siesta yeah. fiesta, Denpermen. My, my my approach was I purchased the stuff that I like. I purchased some of those those old Pokemon games because I have a 3ds that that connects that lets me transfer my stuff forward to to the to the Switch or Pokemon. I'm not gonna fuck around with that in case I get banned or anything. But I have another DS and. At a certain point, it, there are going to be games where I'm going to want to play them, and the only option is going to be turning to the, the, you know, turning to those corners of the internet because I don't want have the option to legitimately purchase them. The easy thing to do, the easiest and only option, is piracy. So yeah, you know, grab anything you want to legitimately own while you can, and then pirate once that. Just help yourselves, because yeah. Nintendo won't help you. Um, Nintendo is making it hard for you yeah. to hand them your money. I mean, just to buy anything on the eShop legitimately is ridiculous now because you can't directly buy it. You've got to yeah. set up a Nintendo account that's different from your Nintendo network account and put money on that. And I realized that today. I went to the 3DS eShop and I had like a, a voucher code to put in. And I put the code in and it recognised it was a valid code and then was like, no, you can't put your code in here. Go to the website and put the code in there instead. Yeah. So I had to go to a website and put the, the exact same code in and go back to the shop and it was like, yeah, no, that worked. Is this like, a kink for them? Is is this a kink? Like, like edging customers? Is that what they do? Like, I just don't understand why the hoops, why the, the constant barriers. This is not yeah. how people or companies or anyone or anything behaves well uh, i'm gonna move us forward because i know we've got time constraints today steph have you played anything else this week you want to talk about uh yeah um thanks to um a fan called kirsten who couldn't make it to the show on saturday but was in town um and and swung by to sell me uh, a couple of uh 3ds and ds games um, including Aliens Infestation, which I've talked about on this show before. Um, an old way forward 2D, uh, Metroidvania style aliens game that was very good. Um, yeah, I, I have a copy of that. I was playing, uh, been playing some of that this week. Uh, I forgot how hard it was. Like, I remember it being, it's a great game, but I do remember it being like, irritating at times and i was not used to just how fucking brutal it is and it's in ways that aren't quite fair like the the guys with guns that hide behind boxes and they pop up and as they pop up they shoot and then pop right back down and it's like where's my window where's my window um and regular xenomorphs just being really fucking hard to to combat 
credit where it's due, I said it at the time and I maintain it, it's got really scary xenomorphs in it. Partially because it's so brutal, uh, bordering on unfair, but partially as well because despite the visual style being very retro, pixely, very reminiscent of the old uh, SNES and Mega Drive Alien 3 game, they are just spooky. They come out the walls and they're really aggressive. For a game that looks like it does with that graphical style and being on the DS, to be as scary as it is, is is pretty impressive. Uh, As are the animations this game is exquisitely animated as far as characters go from the different marines who really like showcase a lot of personality with one animation in the waiting room just like one character who takes off her helmet and throws it on the ground and then stands on it and looks all cool a lot of personality is in this uh, i posted a gif today of of a marine being attacked by an alien in a sort of button mashing sequence where it's pressing down on them snapping at them and they get pushed off and shot and just little details like the way the xenomorph's head turns so the top of its head is visible on the camera before it gets up as it just its whole head twists to the side little things like that that make these some of I think some of the best pixel-based animations in a game still, certainly on the, the DS or 3DS, it looks gorgeous. And the little gimmick of there being like dozens of marines that you can play as that you find throughout the map, and if they die and you don't get to them in time, they're perma-dead. That's a nice gimmick. And they have some like really unique-looking... Uh, marines i remember one who's like in an entire astronaut suit and stuff very cool very distinct it's just so it's so unfair like i'm gonna use the word it's fucking unfair um just how punishing it is at times but it's got a lot to like i'm I'm glad i have it again yeah neat uh, Conrad, did you play anything else this week? Uh, I, I did play one other thing. Uh, okay. It's called Anamoya Opolis? Anamoyopolis? Uh, no. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad me Anime police. To... No, 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 no. See, here's the thing. Like, the game, yeah. even the the game is, you know... They're not stupid. They know they made a game with an unpronounceable name, and some of the first dialogue <laughs> in it is the character that you play trying to sound out how to title <laughs> what the title is. Uh, um, oh. Yeah. I was trying to work out how to say the name when I was like raiding over to you on Twitch the other day, and I couldn't work out how to get my mouth around yeah, it. Yeah, well, one of them is Animeopolis, and we're like, no, no, we're not going there. That's not where we <laughs> want to be. Uh, this is a first-person liminal spaces adventure quote-unquote horror game. Okay. Okay. Uh, you start the game in a parking lot outside of a car near a sign that says that, you know, this the name of this place, and it shows a sort of, like, city logo and it says it's closed and wandering around you fall through ground and wind up in this place and I, if people are familiar with uh the back rooms uh which yeah. is a a very popular found footage horror thing on youtube um and has uh, sprung up yeah. many many imitators this is in that vein 
and you're basically wandering through a lot of empty environments trying to figure out how to exit the space and go into another one of these largely empty environments. It's got some decent variety in locales. Uh, these are all sort of recognizable as places that could be fucking weird if they were empty. There's a spa, there's a uh, a water park, there's a mini golf course with playable mini golf that yeah. I thought I'd finished at 18 holes but kept going. And if you turn around while you're on the mini golf course... The environment has changed behind you, and you have to just sort of wander through mini golf, you know, predetermined but randomly laid out mini golf holes until you find the exit and can loop back around and return to the tee off point of the hole you were on, which may also now be different. It's boring to an extent that is sort of the point, I think. It's never except for one or two areas, actually all of that difficult to sort of examine the environment and figure out, oh, I can go this way. You don't get lost too often, or I didn't get lost, and I'm prone to that. Um, but there's not a lot to it. Like, there aren't many puzzles to find. Uh, the ones that are there are pretty basic, which is nice because they're not frustrating. But there's just not a whole lot there. It's a very chill game. And in a lot of this type of fiction, there's something chasing you, right? Or there's something in the environment that's coming after you that puts a pressure on you. That's not present here. There's some environmental audio floating around that's, yeah, a little creepy. But there's no pressure to do anything and so it feels a little humdrum and i don't hate that aspect of it if i'm totally honest because i've been chased by enough fucking things in video games i get it i don't mind that this is different yeah i'm dealing with chases all the time yeah, i bet you are <laughs> but at the same time i certainly wouldn't begrudge anybody else looking at this and being like okay well what the fuck is this is this is this welcome yeah. to the rapture again there is a, a story being told. It's going to be in multiple parts. This is episode one. It's a one-person dev team, so I, I'm actually pretty impressed by what they've done as a single person. There is something there. They are telling a story. Uh, episode one hints at more before it bludgeons you over the head with the fact that there's more right at the end. And I will play chapter two to see where it goes. But yeah. it's hard Question. to recommend. Yeah. Um, how important is, is blood thematically to this game? I if at all. I have not seen any blood. There's a mall. Ah. See though the way it's written I'm still stuck on the name. The way it's written, my first thought was Anemiopolis. Mm. Oh. Um although you've got, you know, the Second half of what would be anemia isn't spelled like that. Anemopolis, right? But that was my first thought was something, you know, to do with an, uh, anemia. Um, but yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Looking at it now, it, it certainly looks like a horror game. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. And like I say, it's 
I kind of like the variety of environments that are on display. Um, And there's a fair bit of, quote, content there, but the content is empty by design. (laughs) So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, It feels hollow, but I'll keep an eye on it. Interesting. Played any other things, Steph? Uh, Only one more. I mean, I've been, again, background playing Final Fantasy VII, but the other one is I've been playing it on Steam Deck and it came to Switch, so of course um, I ended up... uh, getting it um void scrappers which i talked about a little while back it's another survivor game another survivor map um the first one outside of vampire survivors that had impressed me um i like it a lot this is the one that's a top-down space shooter so in terms of looking like a shooter up it's it's the one that cuts to the chase it's not like dressed up the reverse bullet hell thing. It looks like a bullet hell thing and really plays that straight, uh, especially if you get the projectile style weapons that just fire little dots everywhere. One of the interesting things about it, like I've played more of it now and can sort of talk a little bit more about it. The interesting thing this one does is rather than give you lots of different weapons that might synergize, Weapons are roughly broken into, well, not roughly, they're exactly broken into four distinct types. You've got projectiles, you've got lasers, you've got orbitals, and you've got um, explosions. All the weapons within those types look more or less the same, which is actually a bit of a criticism of mine. They, uh, everything looks the same, but they do behave differently, like different orbitals, like one might follow you very close behind, one might rotate round you at long range or mid-range. You get various upgrades by collecting enough scrap that will apply to all of a certain type of weapon. You know, projectile damage. Anything that's a projectile will get an increase in damage. So that leaves you with this interesting thing of, do I mix and match weapon types and level them all up evenly? Or do I get one extra weapon type and back stuff up? Or do I focus all in on something, which is usually the best answer. Like if you focus all in on projectiles, you can level them all up a lot more. Um, but there are some interesting stuff like there's one and all the characters play very differently with the weapons as well. Um, there's one character that starts off with no, no fireable weapons, but has all of the upgrades that apply weapon effects to the dash move that you can do. So you can't attack until you hit dash, at which point you're firing lasers and projectiles and explosions. And there's a nice little upgrade that adds dash effects to your orbitals. So if you combine those with him, then suddenly you've got the whole screen covered in lasers and projectiles. Um, so that's an interesting uh, sort of idea. You've got one character that focuses on on the orbitals, and rather than have them rotate like normal, they're autonomous and will just go after any enemies near them. Um, so there's a lot to play around with. Uh, I really like it. I, I think it's 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 not quite Vampire Survivors, and it doesn't look like it's going to be quite uh, Bone Razor Minions. From like I've already. After an hour in Bone Razor Minions, I'm way more invested in that. Um, but it is very nice uh, and very playable. Um, the only major issue is a big UFO appears at level 40. And it's it's not quite like death in Vampire Survivors. It is very powerful, very big, very fast. You will die to it many times. But it's eminently beatable with the right build. Uh, eminently beatable. And the only problem there is nothing happens after that. 
more enemies come and you will keep leveling uh there's a threat level that's what the levels are you'll keep raising the levels which will keep adding more enemies and make them harder to kill but last night i got further than i ever got i beat the ufo at level 40 i gave up around a level 137 i think that's when i gave up um and nothing has happened in that time um, you can't even level up much because you can't kill that many enemies and there's so many of them you can't go back to get the XP um, so I'm barely leveling there are no more bosses um, nothing's happening and I don't know if there's an end point but I became too bored and once I did that the kind of interest levels worn off a bit um, because I feel like even though there's another character I could unlock I've I've done um, which is a shame because it is very good. Um, and there you are. I was only going to talk about five, uh, talk about that for five minutes before getting ready for the dingus inspection, but, uh, it is good. It's just, I've moved on to bone razor minions. Now they talk about boners in it. <laughs> oh, well, in that case, should we leave you there? Cause you've got your thing to go do. And then we'll, we'll, we'll be in comrade. I could sort of finish up for the, uh, for the week. Wait, what? <laughs> Sorry, I ADHD's out of reality then. Oh, I was doing the thing where I was I was sort of giving you the the, the sort of convenient out because you oh, got the the uh, yes. <laughs> you got leave in a sec. Yeah, my brain just <laughs> completely like particle affected. It's it's um, all good, totally understand. Right, yes. Uh so I've got the bloody uh, letting agent people come in soon. They ten minutes late. Um but yeah, um I'm gonna shoot off then. Uh let me just quickly throw out my shit, my stuff. Um, patreon.com slash gymquisition that supports this and that and everything else I stream I should be back to normal now Mondays and Wednesdays twitch tv slash Jim Sterling and other random days um, my next wrestling dates are March 25th that's this Saturday in Leeds True Grit Wrestling um, April 22nd uh, that's PCW uh, that's in Preston May 12th is Effie's Big Gay Brunch in Liverpool. June 10th is Pride of the Ring 2. That's in Blackpool. That's PCW. I think those are the only announced ones. It's getting hard now to tell which ones I can talk about, which ones I can't, and, and just remembering all the dates. Uh, but I think that's all of that. Uh, and would be, uh, you know, thrilled to see any of you who turn up. Um, I'll maybe even let you knock the belt. <gasps> all right. Well. Oh, the bell. Oh, yeah. I'm PCW Women's Champion. I don't know if I mentioned that. I don't know if you mentioned, but you have now I mentioned that. it. Okay. Uh, thank you all. Um, love you lots. Uh, and you I will too. see you next week. And hopefully I'll still have a home. Hopefully I'm not going to get turfed out for all of the moonshine I've been brewing in the murder basement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, comrade. I've, I've got a couple of games left to oh, talk please. about. I'm going to finish those off quick. So... I've got an update on Bloom, mm-hmm. which is that game about living living in a flower shop, growing flowers, all, all that stuff that I've been like, yeah, just playing a little bit here and there for the last couple of weeks. I was right with a lot of my suspicions where that plot was going, yeah. uh, <laughs> which it was making no secret of it. But I've, I'm a couple of weeks in and it's gotten to the point where like, ah, yes, it's now explicitly clear that my character is not out as queer to her parents right. and also has not told her parents that she, she's dropped out of school to start a flower shop. I continue to be really impressed at how well this game 
manages it, it manages to feel like it has compelling reasons to be doing the little bits of ongoing gameplay, despite the fact that there is no hanging, you know, sort of Damocles hanging over you, threatening you if you don't do mm-hmm. it. It's quiet little, just organized loop is quick enough to, to, to not take much time and builds in a way that feels like it, it is its own reward for doing it, which is really nice. Narratively, like, I am really engaged in the plot. I think that the, the people who have written this have done a really good job of writing very believable slice-of-life dialogue that feels very human and feels... I think I said this last week, but it feels very much like actual conversations a person will have where they slightly change up how they talk depending on who they're talking with and... The more that there have started to be like interactions between the various characters you're having these little conversations with, they've built a very believable little world. I am right now, two weeks into this, at the point with this game where I can feel the impending narrative car crash approaching, right. and I know, and it's no secret what what the big problem is going to be, and it's just a matter of, is today the day that the House of Cards topples? And I think this is where the structure of the narrative being told in real, like over several real world weeks, really works. Is that, like, I've enjoyed pieces of media before about, you know, this this cannot last and you are just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh, The one that, like, jumps to mind most quickly for me is uh, there's a musical that released a couple of years ago called Dear Evan Hansen that's Mm -hmm. uh, got that sort of that sort of vibe to it. But the thing here is that you are really stretching out the when will the other shoe drop. Yeah, that tension really seems like it would be effective. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like I I think that what this does really well is having not too much happen at once and letting each little bit of built tension have its moment in the sun. Um like I've reached a point in this narrative now where uh, my my parents have asked to come see the place where I'm living. They want to like come visit for lunch, and they want to come see my apartment. And I accidentally let slip that I have access to the roof space. That there was a nice view off of the roof. And now they're going to want to see the roof when they come visit, which is where I'm growing the flowers, and that might start leading to them asking more questions. Right. And it's these little gradual, like, or you might say something in a message that like the wording just goes a little step beyond like, oh, you've actively lied rather than just omitting details. And the slow burn is great. And I think this is a really good use of narrative told in real time to great effect. Uh, I, I Bloom has taken some time for me to really see what it excels right. at. And I don't know how long it's going to be, and I, I, I deliberately don't want to look that up. I don't want to look up how long it's going to take for me to get to the end of it, because the not knowing is a big part of it. And I think I'm going to stop talking about it this week, because if you have or end up in the near future getting a playdate, I think this is a really interesting examination of narrative form, and... I think I've said enough to to be like, if you're going to be interested, you will know that now. I don't want to spoil the question of when that shoe drops. Yeah. Because that feels like... The, the, the only thing that really feels like a spoiler to me is how long can this last? So yeah, yeah, like two-ish solid weeks into this, 
I think it has justified its price as one of the most expensive uh, games available for Playdate. It's doing something really neat. The other one I've been playing, because I've been continuing to just play little bits on the Playdate, because it's a really small little thing for when I'm traveling, um, is a game called You Cannot Go Back. Uh, so to play this, you turn the Playdate sideways, so you have a portrait screen, and you're just using three buttons on the uh, the D-pad. Uh, based on your new orientation, it would be up, right, and down. And it is a little run-based dungeon exploration game that has a bunch of puzzles for you to explore, but a big part of it is... You can't go back? Uh, well, yeah, it's, obso- it's, it's observation and memory and not being able to go back and double-check things. So there will be a lot of, like, in an early room, you might just see one little symbol in a square in a corner of a room, and it might be 15 rooms from now that you are asked, which of these three doors do you go through that you think is safe to go through? Uh, they've all got symbols on them. Do you remember that symbol that we didn't really draw your attention to, like, a bunch of rooms back? But it's that combined with, like, some some of it is, like, little, like, okay, there's timing-based puzzles and sort of, um you know, more traditional gameplay elements. But a big part of it is I'm running down a corridor with saws running at me and uh, I've got to be like, you know, at the top, the middle or the bottom to avoid the saws. But while I'm focusing on that, I also have to be looking out for anything that might be a clue that I might need to remember later. Hmm. Uh, it is it is very simple, but it's it feels like it's basically trying to gamify that thing of... You know the the bit of video footage where it's like follow them passing the ball around. Oops, you didn't notice the gorilla right. in the background. Yeah. It's basically that. It's do a bunch of dungeon exploration little mini games, while also keeping an eye out for if there's a gorilla walking in the background that you need to be aware of. It is fun. It is unforgiving. You make one mistake, you're right back at the start of the run. But it is a game that is designed to be like, just jump in, have a quick go, jump back out. It's not right. super in-depth, but I am having fun with it. And it, it it's very uh, laser focused in on what, what it is. It knows exactly what its deal is. That that idea just, boy, I, I, it sounds like it's the sort of thing that would be very fun for someone else. Because I can just see my inability to retain information to be a problem for me. This is what I was going to say is, it's a game that I, uh, I've i I've tried playing this a few times. Right, right after my ADHD meds have kicked in, there's a brief window of time where I quite enjoy this game. Uh, if, you, if, if I try and play this game like at the tail end of the day when my meds are wearing off, definitely not the fucking game for me. <laughs> uh, it entirely depends on how, where we are in the bell curve of my ability to mitigate my own ADHD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You played anything else, or should we? No, should we, we should move on to some news. news. Out of the way, quick. Okay, so we got we got a few bits of news this week. Uh, where shall we start? Uh, you know what? Let's let's start with this one. Ubisoft's come up this week. Uh, are, are you aware of uh, Ubisoft's new AI tools that they're uh, introducing into game development? Uh, n- no, and that's <laughs> not good. Uh, so let's talk about uh, Ubisoft Ghostwriter. Oh, no. Uh, which was introduced in a little 90-second YouTube video. I'll let them describe it. I'll let you hear it in their own words. Uh Introducing Ubisoft Ghostwriter, an AI tool developed in-house that aims to support our scriptwriters by generating the first draft of our NPC box. 
the phrases or sounds made by NPCs when players interact with them in the game world. This tool was created hand-in-hand -hand with scriptwriters to create more realistic NPC interactions by generating variations on a piece of dialogue. Uh, see how our teams will use AI to handle repetitive tasks and free up time to work on other core game elements. Taken at face value, I don't disapprove in theory of making writers' lives easier, but I do not fucking trust Ubisoft to start the journey that is we increasingly will use AI to replace writers, because what is not so clearly said in the video, but you can sort of see it in the footage they show, is they are using Ubisoft's actual dialogue writers to train this AI to get better and better at producing NPC dialogue, dot dot dot, until the point it won't need that bit of human interaction to make the dialogue. Like, that's very clearly what this is, is it will generate dialogue, and the human who is using the software can, like, tweak it and change it, but they have to then interact and be like, was this a good prompt? Uh, okay, oh, you changed the prompt, and you gave it a tick now that you've changed it, so that change is a good change. Like, Everything is built around give the AI feedback so that it will get better and better at not needing you. Like, it's so in your face about writer, please teach our AI how to not need you anymore. So there's a few things that I, I see uh, as uh, curiosities, maybe, about this. Yeah. Like, first of all, is this saving time, ultimately? I don't know that it is. Eventually, sure. Okay, the prompts will become good enough that someone will be able to read it and sign off on it, right? I, I acknowledge mm -hmm. that. But someone still has to spend the time to review and sign off on it. You're just looking at the work and then considering whether or not it fits. You are still doing the exercise. You're just doing the latter half of the exercise. Well, that's, that's, that's why I am very much in the camp of I don't think this is to save time for these writers. Oh, no. I think it is so that eventually you don't need the human in the right, process. Right, but I still think you're going to need the human in the process, because what happens when the machine learning system decides to say some Nazi shit? Yeah. Right? That's yeah, not impossible. Yeah. You're still going to need manual review of all of this, or it's yeah, going to yeah. go horribly wrong at some but, point. I will say that uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the thinking is it's cheaper to pay someone whose job is read this and check there's no Nazi shit than it is to pay someone whose job title is writer with the salary that an implied creative job entails. But the other bit that I'm really irritated about in this... Mm -hmm is the uh the last sentence of that little description that that they provided. Yeah. Um see how our teams will use AI to handle repetitive tasks and free up time to work on other core game elements. This is fucking awful because it it yep. makes it seem like the skill and time is just transferable. Like everything's just drawing from a pool of, of talent and ability. Yeah. And so these writers who may not be necessary to do AI script work, well, they can just go do something else. But that's not how it yeah. works. 
and that yeah. there's there's a, yeah. a lot of misconception among the the audience that these yeah. elements like accessibility and things like that are somehow yeah. taking away from the resource you know or mind share or talent pool that produces other important core gameplay and it's just not the way it works best case scenario outcome like the the least bad outcome here is that you get generic npc dialogue being barked out that just feels soulless because it it was designed to technically complete the objective and to not take any risks beyond it conveyed the information with an emotional tone attached the moment that you are trying to get uh, like a a computer to write dialogue that requires as little input from humans as possible what you are doing is genericizing the hell out oh, of what absolutely. every npc is going to say because that is that is how you get less human input needed is generic fucking but this output. is also ubisoft's mo right that is what they yeah. have done with their franchises generally speaking they have found a gameplay model that worked well enough, and they've iterated upon that in such a way as to sort of standardize their production flow. Yeah. And you know what this has made me think about? And I feel pretty confident that this is a big part of why this tech is being developed, is if they really haven't given up on Beyond Good and Evil 2... At the scope they initially pitched it at, with the number of explorable planets, blah, 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 blah. I think shit like this is maybe conceivably how they think they're going to answer that question of how do we fill X number of real world size planets with, with dialogue? Well, what if we train an AI to be able to do good enough background dialogue and then just get it to farm out enough to fill eight, eight planets or whatever? Okay. There is a part of me that wants that to be true. Like, really, truly, want, not, only, not only wants that to be true, but wants Ubisoft to proudly declare it at some point. Can you imagine the response from Beyond Fine. Good and Evil fans? This treasured yeah, if it, property. Yeah, if it was the test bed for we generically farmed out uh, computer dialogue... Yeah, right, that would go over like, so people badly. People fucking love the writing in Beyond yeah. Good and Evil. Right, but, but you, 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 you see what I mean, though, about, like, that is the, like, everything they've said about what that game is becoming is the perfect example of the kind of game they would use this kind of tech on. Yeah, I think you're right, and... <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, so that's fun, that's fun. Uh, so we've we've got a bunch of updates on on the Microsoft Activision Blizzard King acquisition story because like this this is just the news for a right. while. So first update: PlayStation uh, has continued doing the thing that both sides of this uh, debate have been doing for a while, which is talking about how shit they are as a company in order to try and win <laughs> this battle. Right. Uh, the, the latest putting themselves down statement: PlayStation cannot protect against the loss of Call of Duty. It basically is part of the uh, the the ongoing stuff with the UK's um, uh, Competition and Markets Authority. Sony has basically, and I'm going to paraphrase them a little here, said, if Call of Duty becomes an exclusive, we cannot compete with Microsoft at that point. We're, we're done. We can't compete with Microsoft. Our first party blockbuster franchises 
cannot compete with Call of Duty in terms of gameplay hours, revenue, or budget we would have, we would have to spend. We, we just we just can't do it. It would it would be impossible for us to keep up. Hmm. To get a bit more specific, some of the things they point out is like we don't have a lot of experience with first-person shooter and battle royale development, and uh, its main shooter franchise is significantly less big than Call of Duty. And uh, to to have a shooter, like we we had to sort of buy the company that made Destiny, but they're, they're making Destiny, so they can't make us a Call of Duty, and. And and Destiny has like a lot lower play hours and things than Call of Duty. Anyway, we've been trying to build that up, and it's not Call of Duty, so we can't make Call of Duty, and we'd be screwed if you if we didn't have Call of Duty. Would you? Would you? Oh, would you? Like you could give some money to fucking Epic, and work out some sort of deal. To partner up with them, like, you're not outside of options there. The amount of development resources that Sony has put into funding studios and building them up and making their own new franchises that have done very well, PlayStation has shown they are reliably pretty good at like, okay, let's make our thing in this genre. Yeah, and that does pretty well. Like again, it's them putting down their own ability because they don't want to lose Call of Duty. So they're being like, "Oh, we could never make a Call of Duty." Build a studio of dissatisfied EA dice devs. You, 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 I'm sure you can find them. Hire up all of the all of the Activision Blizzard workers who keep leaving because of the poor there treatment of that company, and go like, "Hey, hey, disaffected Call of Duty employees that left. Do you want to come work on legally not Call of Duty?" Although. None of those things get built without, like, a strong executive force, so... Yeah. <laughs> it might not work out that well. None uh, of yeah. those people seem to be all that keen to leave. They're getting treated just fine. Yeah. So, the response to this is we now have a heavily redacted um, document from Microsoft sort of responding to this, again, as part of the, the UK's CMA remedies hearing, that basically is Microsoft saying, No! Now, Sony would be able to create its own Call of Duty in a decade. Like, if they knew they had a 10-year clock to make a Call of Duty, they could, they could make themselves a Call of Duty in 10 years. Um, I mean, yeah, they, they probably could. I, I, think, I think that that's probably fair. I mean, maybe not a Call of Duty, because, let's be realistic, that franchise is... I mean, you know what? Yes, yes. If Microsoft fucks up Call of Duty... PlayStation could definitely, <laughs> in 10 years, have that. PlayStation could definitely mechanically make a game that is like Call of Duty that yes. they have. They wouldn't have 20 years of, this is the series I grew up with and have, like, specific uh, attachment to because it's the one oh, they know. Oh, fuck, that's... Oh, God. Like, they can't... Oh, God, no. Yeah. Oh, shit, no. Oh, you have just... Oh, no. Right? No. Right? <laughs> Like that's the thing they couldn't that call of that that's the thing that PlayStation can't. Well, yeah, make. yeah. When you put it in the context of it's been twenty years and people have grown up entirely on this franchise, that is that's that's the thing. People were like twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and go and starting to be like, oh, I want to play games that are more for for grown ups and for big kids, and started playing Call of Duty, and that is like childhood core memories that they have grown up with. And that's the thing that I think Microsoft is glossing over and that Sony 
really, like, if they want to make that argument should be leaning on, is it's not just mechanically making the video game, it's this is the video game that people grew up with, and that emotional attachment doesn't go away quickly. To read Microsoft's actual statement, uh, they said, Microsoft considers a period of 10 years as sufficient for Sony, as a leading publisher and console platform, to develop alternatives to Call of Duty. The 10-year term will extend into the next console generation, blah blah blah. The practical effect of the remedy will go beyond 10 years. Basically going, you've got plenty of time. But that's also, it's 10 years that you're competing in that landscape with that other property on your platform. So it's not like, you know, those people are still going to just be playing Call of Duty. Until PlayStation doesn't have Call of Duty, that's when their new property has to sink or swim. Yeah, well, and but you just dump money into it for 10 years until you see whether it's going to be successful? I think that you, at some point in there, I don't know when, maybe five years in or something, you start working on the thing and getting the team together and doing the, and and like being ready for when the 10 years is up. I don't know. Because like that's that's the thing though, isn't it? Unless you're gonna sink money into competing against yourself on your platform, yeah, yeah. yeah. and the marketing spend uh, to to compete with Call of Duty toe to toe, it would be obscene. I don't think Call of Duty is the be all end all. It is a monster for sure, and yes, not having it available on your platform will hurt financially. I think 10 years is long enough time to come up with an alternative strategy, but yeah, yeah. they're not wrong. It's going to hurt a lot. Yeah. Other quick things, uh, we can sort of breeze past this one. We're going to have to wait a bit longer to find out whether the EU officially is going to oppose the deal or not. They've pushed back their deadline. They're now going to let people know by the 22nd of May. Off the record, it seems like they are going to let the deal go through on their end but apparently like the the reporting is basically just saying that they want to do one final round of checks with various parties that the concessions that microsoft have made are sufficient but it seems like they're probably going to fold but you will probably find this one interesting comrade because you have been a big person talking about like the importance of mm-hmm. king in this whole purchase uh and we'd sort of heard suggestions that this story was going to be the case, but we now have some sort of confirmation. Microsoft is planning their own mobile app store Oh, you don't say. Yeah, yeah. So in March of 2024, there are going to be some new rules in the EU. Basically, some anti-monopoly rules are going to require Apple and Google to let other people have app stores on their devices. To have things that are not the Google Play Store and the the Apple App Store, Microsoft is planning to capitalize on this with its with an Xbox Store for mobile, for which its proposed Activision Blizzard King purchase is a key element. There's a lot of quotes going on in here, but I think the very obvious thing is if this purchase of Activision Blizzard King goes through, and Call of Duty Mobile and Candy Crush become exclusive to a new store or some kind of new content or new version of those is placed on your new competing store, that is a very quick foot in the door to two kinds of mobile gaming markets. And big, 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 big markets. Big markets. Like, that's where most of the growth has been for the last decade. Just enormous. Um, And Microsoft's 
lack of access to that market really is just kind of startling that they've never been able to find a way in, and this is the way. The examples given are Call of Duty Mobile, Diablo Immortal, and Candy Crush Saga. Yep. And I'm like, yep, those are three things that, despite my problems with them, definitely capture a big portion of who you're trying to capture. Yes, and I think and I think it's the sort of thing that the gaming press broadly ignores. Right? Mobile yeah. is, despite it being huge, the only places that really provide decent coverage of what's going on are sites that are dedicated exclusively to mobile stuff. And even yeah. then, like, yeah. it, there's so much. The flood is so vast that... It, it's hard even for them to uh, fully yeah. bring across how big this stuff is. It's, it is the largest market, the least covered in gaming, and it's shocking. Yeah. Um. So with that out of the way, we've got one more like shitty game companies uh, update story. We talked a little while about, ago about the fact that there was a class action lawsuit that was basically trying to argue that. Uh, loot boxes in FIFA are uh, unlawful gambling, mm. which I would say they are, mm -hmm. um, but a judge has ruled against this class action lawsuit uh, in it, uh, and said, no, they are not unlawful gambling. However, the judge has allowed a separate part of the lawsuit to go ahead, which seeks to claim the EA games adopted deceptive and unconscionable acts or practices. Again, I would argue they have, but it's probably easier to legally, under the law, push ahead. Basically, EA is using this as an opportunity to grandstand and, and boast about how they're definitely not gambling. We've got a bunch of new quotes about how nothing in their games is gambling, it's definitely not gambling. Uh, I'll read one out here. We're pleased that the trial court rejected, as a matter of law, the allegations of unlawful gambling. The court's decision reaffirms our position that nothing in our games constitutes gambling. Hmm. Again, a big factor in the judge's ruling seems to be that you cannot get cash bash back out of the system officially, so it's not gambling, despite the fact there are unofficial ways to make money by selling the things that you want out of those packs. Oh, you mean like a pachinko parlor? Right! Like, you're describing a pachinko parlor. Yeah, it's the fucking pachinko defense. These are pachinko, not gambling, so it's fine. Let let children play real money pachinko. Amazing. I've got a story that's not miserable to end on, just like a silly story, because we, we, we have one of those this week, finally, to, to, to end on. Rare's co-founder Tim Stamper is going to have to lick a very old chocolate BAFTA. <laughs> okay. Basically, there was some big uh, online fan vote happening for, like, best duo in gaming. They were up against, like, Zelda and Link from the Zelda games and whatnot, and, like, it had made it to, like, the final section of this big fan vote, and Tim Stamper basically said if Banjo-Kazooie beat Zelda and Link, he would lick a 25-year-old chocolate BAFTA. And then it happened. Um, there are pictures of the BAFTA. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at one of them now, and I, I have so many questions. Like, why? Why was there ever a milk chocolate BAFTA? Why did you choose milk chocolate? Because in terms of, like, I would have gone with a dark. That's just me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My main takeaway is it's missing one of its eyes quite cleanly. And I'm like, at some point in the last 25 years, did someone go, 
I mean, I mean, I mean, just a little bite. Right? And, like, push one of the eyes through? Yeah, that's... Or did they midway through, like, presentation, like, were they, why? No eyes. As a mask, I think it'd be fun. I agree. Yeah, there's a lot of discoloration to this that makes it look no longer the colour of a thing I... of, Of the colour I would consider chocolate to be when it's edible. Yeah. Yeah. So... And they're going to lick this. Yeah. At some point, there will probably be footage or a picture of Tim Stamper licking a a definitely inedible chocolate bafta, so... Where would you lick if you were posed this challenge? I think that I would take my bets on the inside of the eye socket. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. Because Mm -hmm. my thinking here is... I don't know when the eye was broken out. Right, right. But at the very least, that is the 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 edges around the eye are slightly less have had slightly less time weathering the elements. Interesting. They are slightly less exposed to the air, which means I'm I'm thinking that that is the slightly less terrifying bit to lick. So I am I'm gonna uh I, that's that's smart. That's smart. I'm uh, gonna, for similar reasons, I am going to say, and this is, you know, this is true of of a an ancient chocolate mask. This is true in in other aspects of my life. Uh, I would lick it from the back. <laughs> See, that was my other thought. Yeah, I would lick it from the back because chances are, and I don't know how this has been stored, right? But yeah. chances are, it was stored face up. Yes. So at the very least, there's been more light exposure to the top. Right, but less dust exposure to the bottom. Right, yeah. I think both of us have got reasonable arguments, and there's no way to know which of us is right, but I think we've both come at this from sensible approaches. Sorry, the more I look at this chocolate BAFTA, the more things I notice about Mm -hmm. it. I don't like that there's, I'm guessing it's like a bit of a scratch or something that's happened in transit, but I don't like that it looks like there's a tiny little trail of snot coming from mm, the, the, mm. the nose across the lips. I feel like that almost might be a mold defect even, but yeah. I, but you see what I, I see mean. exactly I'm what like, you mean, mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm putting my bets my, bet, my bets on now. Uh, I'm going to put my money on Tim Stamper licks the chin because it is the brownest looking main front section. Yeah, I would, I would guess either the chin... Or perhaps along the left side of the nose. I was going to say the other option is the the hairline on that one side that's not facing the light. Yeah, on on the the mask's right side. Yeah, that's yeah, that's uh, possible. Well, I'll make sure to report yeah, back please. if we get evidence uh, where, where he ended up licking. Amazing, absolutely amazing. Uh, you know what else is amazing, Laura? What all of the stuff that you produce for the internet. Oh, that's that's a lovely thing for you to say. Oh. Well, it's true, and you should tell other people where they could find it. Well, you can find all the stuff I do at Laura K. Buzz pretty much everywhere on the internet, be that Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon, that's the one that pays the bills if you appreciate the stuff I do. The best way to support it is as little as a dollar a month over on, on Patreon. Uh, that allows me to keep doing doing the thing that I do. Uh, Twitch, I, I stream Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Um, 
Dice Funk. Go go check out Dice Funk, season 10 of Dice Funk. Uh, we're about to have the first uh, episode that I am the DM of uh, will Ooh. be going up, I think, this weekend. Each season's its own self-contained story. Come listen to some Dungeons & Dragons where I'm a player for half of the episodes and the other half. I control the world and puppet the story. No one should have given me that kind of power, but I will, I'll be wielding it. What about you, Conrad? Well, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com. You can listen to me talk about snacks on Let's Talk About Snacks, available wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Go check out Red Planet, which is a lefty live stream and podcast that I produce uh, with four lovely, lovely leftists who want to make the world a better place. And uh, everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And Laura, did you know James Stephanie Sterling has a Patreon? Oh, I had heard. I'd heard rumblings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's patreon.com slash jimquisition that supports this. It supports the main Jimquisition show. Go check that out. And, uh, yeah, Steph already gave the wrestling dates. So, again, I don't have to do that. And... Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.